Hey, Maker Friends, real quick before we get into today's episode, something super time-sensitive is happening. Next week, on June 11th and 12th, I am once again, or perhaps finally, hosting our super popular free webinar called The Four Most Common Instagram Photography Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Yes, these tips even work if you're only using your cell phone. I'm hosting this live webinar at two different times, June 11th and 12th, to make sure that we can cover as many time zones as possible. Yes, my Australian friends, you do not have to get up at 4 a.m. for me, I promise. You can learn more and save your spot by visiting makersplaybook.com slash Instagram dash photography. It's a little bit of a long URL, so one more time in case you already had your hands covered in mud, it's makersplaybook.com slash Instagram dash photography. Oh, and if you can join live, I'm saving a lot of time at the end to cover as much Q&A as you throw at me. So don't tell your boss I said this, but you know, you could maybe put this on your work calendar as a appointment. Just leave it vague. All right. See you online next week. Welcome to the Maker's Playbook, the podcast where we talk all about what it's really like to make a living from the things you make. I'm your host, Rebecca Ikes Kara. On this week's episode, I'm chatting with Camille Beckles of Camille at the Wheel. Camille was always inclined towards ceramics, but took her first class about four years ago, and like so many of us, was hooked from the very beginning. Her iconic logo, that first was the reason for my following her work, is a singular example of her clear commitment to knowing and owning her brand story. It's central to our conversation about representation in the arts world, making work you actually enjoy making, and continuing to explore the meaning of that word balance when it comes to multiple jobs and building a business you love. There are so many topics in this conversation that I'd love to dive even deeper on than this quick hour allowed. So I'm sure I will be asking Camille back soon. Not to mention, I will be dying to hear more about the new project she teases us with at the end of this episode. So be sure to listen all the way through. If you love this conversation as much as I did, then tell us by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And as always, if this spurred questions for you, Send me a DM on Instagram at the Maker's Playbook so we can queue up another episode specifically for you. But first, let's hear from Camille. Hey, Camille, how's it going? Hi, Rebecca. I'm good. How are you? I feel like every question I ask now is so loaded when it comes to all things in the world 2020 and yeah. where we're at. So, how are you? <laughs> oh like, my gosh, that's such a complicated question. Existentially, emotionally. Yeah, I am very fortunate to say that on the whole, all things considered, I am doing very well. My family, the people I love are healthy and safe. I am fortunate to be employed as my partner. We have all the basics of food and shelter and safety, those sorts of things. So in that sense, I am doing, I'm doing very well and grateful for that. Wonderful. And I feel like that has been the one blessing of 2020 is it, I think it has recentered all of us to say, hey, here's what actually matters. Here's what's really important. And then everything from there will sort itself out. Totally. Yeah. So, since you mentioned employment, are you working full time with your ceramics and Camille at the wheel now? Or is that still the side part time hustle and working elsewhere? Where's life at with you for that? Yeah, so I have a full-time job. I work for a nonprofit um, called the Center for Policing Equity, and we are a research organization that works with police data and communities to bring about more racially equitable public safety. So that's my full-time job, and pottery is my part-time hustle slash therapy slash hobby turned business. So I am working full-time and then also uh, running Camille at the Wheel after hours when I'm not doing my full-time job. And that full-time job sounds amazing. Also, like I want to have a whole conversation about that. That's a message that needs to be spread loud and clear, particularly. Yeah, we have been busy to say the absolute (laughs) very least this year and in many years leading up to this year. For sure. Absolutely. Talking about the, the silver linings of 2020, that's one of those things that as a 
middle class white woman. That's a great awakening of 2020 in some ways. What a mediocre phrase to put with that. But, you know, as far as, okay, if there's something that can come out of the upending of the world, global pandemic, racial awareness, inequity in the U.S., let's just hope the work continues. That's, yeah, we'll, we'll sure. leave it at it. There's so much more we could go with that, but we'll we'll move back into the world of the mud and, and yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. As far as being the part-time hustle, being where you're at right now, the the elevator pitch of what brought you today and how you and I wound up chatting for those of people who aren't yet following you on Instagram, which I will be sure to include a link in the show notes. But how did you wind up to this side hustle in ceramics and where you're at today? Yeah, so I have always wanted to do ceramics. My fiance says that on our first date, I told him that my dream was to have a ceramics studio and a coffee shop. And I don't remember that. I don't remember saying that, but I finally got around to signing up for a class maybe three or four years ago. And after my first class, I was hooked. And so I kept doing it, reached a point where my work was getting better. And I kept having friends asking me, when are you going to sell stuff? Can I buy this from you? This looks so good. Can you make me this? Can you make me that? And eventually got to the point where I felt like my work was good enough to be able to sell and I could in good conscience um, take someone's money in exchange for a mug or a plate or something that I made. And so that was the launching point for Camille at the Wheel. I was really particular about my branding and my name and what I wanted to stand for and how I wanted my logo to look. Representation was really important to me, which is one reason why my logo is very clearly a Black woman with an Afro and a head wrap, because Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of representation. I don't see that many Black people in pottery. And so I wanted the, the branding to be really strong, and I wanted the pieces to be playful and usable. I really love functional, beautiful things. And so that's my goal is that my work is useful and beautiful and brings you a little bit of joy um, in everyday use. And with those things in mind, I launched in September of 2018. My fiance built my website for me. So uh, I was really lucky to have that kind of built in resource and have been growing the business ever since then. So you said September of 2018? That's right. September 2018. How long before that was the classes that you started to take? Because you mentioned that feeling of good enough that I think so many of us can resonate with as far as when I get to this point or when it's this good, then Mm -hmm. I will. What was, do you remember the timing in between? Yeah. So I took my first ceramics class in, I want to say it was 2015. It was either 2015 or 2016. I don't do this anymore, but I used to, when I wrote my signature, I would mark the year of the piece. And so I have some early pieces. I still do that. Yeah. I totally still do that. Yeah. So I have some pieces that say 2016, which is for sure, but I feel like it was 2015. At any rate, it was at least two to three years yeah. of taking classes before I felt comfortable enough to start selling things. And what was it that, what was it that felt was the that's the word I'm looking for, the litmus test or the marker mm-hmm. that it felt like, okay, yes, now I can sell this. For me, I wanted to be consistent. And so I wanted to make sure that I could make work that I could replicate consistently. There are also some fundamentals uh, about like pulling a good cylinder. Are the walls even? Is this piece properly balanced? Is this an appropriate weight for a cup versus for a planter versus for a vase? Are the colors, do they pop? Does it have a certain aesthetic? Do I feel like I have a style that is easy to identify? If you see this piece in the wild, you'll know that it's mine. And so those were some of the things that I was taking into account. On the one hand, there was the the fundamentals of pottery. You know, if you cut this piece in half, what does it look like? Is it even? So that was one thing. And then the second thing was is there some element of Camille or Camille at the wheel that is apparent in these pieces? And once I felt like those two things were present, I felt more comfortable putting myself out there and pressing play on the business. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. So before I was a professional photographer, I was actually in the world of branding and graphic design. And I think that's part of what so quickly drew me to your the little icon and in Instagram stories to that iconic branding that you do have, because I also don't see that very frequently Mm -hmm. in the ceramics world, not only just in the actual two-dimensional branding, but there's definitely some people that have a look and have a style that clearly is theirs, but maybe not always when they start to branch into different 
objects and forms. And maybe I know a mug for sure from one person, but if that person starts to make vases, then I don't know necessarily that it's theirs or if they change their glazes or what have you. So Mm -hmm. was there anything that really either from the get-go or things that you can connect back in hindsight that brought you into your aesthetic? Yeah, it started out because with my first pots, they were so bad and heavy and paperweighty as are most people's. And I had an early pottery teacher named Lynn, who was a delightful woman. And I was trimming like a bad little pot. I loved this little pot. I still have it. And she said, what if you facet it? And so she showed me how to just chop off pieces of the pot to add some visual interest. And I just kept that with me. And through a bunch of experimentation, either on pots that were too thick or where I was just bored and wanted to add some visual interest, I started experimenting with carving up my pieces. And I eventually landed on the Hello Dottie cups Mm -hmm. and really loved that motif. And so once I started realizing how I could alter pieces after I had finished throwing them, I think that was a turning point for me in terms of figuring out my style and what I wanted to contribute to to my pottery to make it a little bit more unique. And so I think the carvings are really what put me in a space of feeling like, okay, this is something that I can I feel like I can own. And it also contributes to my own enjoyment of things that just feel good when you use them. I love soft clothes. I love textures. I love holding a cup that feels really good. And and there's something about the tactile nature of of the carvings and the textures that I think helped me to figure out, oh, this is something that's interesting and something that I can grow into into a recognizable style. Nice. That is like a it's a, it's a maker's mark different than the throwing lines or mm-hmm. something like that. You're really I think that's what's so special about ceramics in so many ways is that it's so much more intimate than mm-hmm. any other art. And this coming from someone who's photographed weddings for 10 years, it doesn't, I used to think it doesn't get much more intimate than that. But really, when I think about using my hands to make something and then someone else holding that object every single day in in the kitchen in the morning, in your pajamas, on the couch, and in, in your intimate of spaces mm-hmm. is so very special. Yeah, for sure. And I really love, and I I think all ceramicists love when people send photos of something that they've made in daily use. And that also is one of the things for me that is really important is that there are some things that there are vases and then there are vases. (laughs) And I not to undersell myself, I am capable of making vases, but I think I'm more oftentimes more inclined towards vases, things that you can use every single day. And so that's one of my goals is for it to my stuff to be integrated into your daily routine in whatever way that makes sense for you. Hmm. I think that's a really important delineation. And I imagine that's informed a lot of the business that you have and are continuing to build in terms of, of your audience and who you're directing to, because you're right, it's a completely di- different beast in terms of the vase world of fine art and here, let's put it up here and look at it versus it's going to go in the dishwasher and it's Mm -hmm. going to go on the coffee table and your kid might knock it over or the dog's tail might hit it or what have you. So how is that? Is there anything that comes to mind as far as how is that informed the growth of the business or what you're, how you're marketing or any of the Mm -hmm. pragmatic side of things, I guess. For me, I use every single thing that I make. So Mm -hmm. everything I'm selling is something that I use every single day. And also I don't have a dishwasher. I live in New York city, so it has to stand up to washing by hand. Sometimes things slip and hit the sink. So for me, I think it's about first and foremost, it's just about making stuff that I like and stuff that I would be happy to use. And the fact that somebody else thinks that is cool and interesting and beautiful and that they want to have that in their lives is just incredible and humbling and fantastic. But I think that's always my starting point is what's something that's interesting to me? What's something that I want or need? And then how can I design a piece around that? I think the vase, (laughs) to use that, go back to that, is that's also important to me. But for me, that's more of keeping my own skills sharp. And I think there are fundamentals of Mm -hmm. pottery that are really important to have a good grasp on. And so that is where 
for me at least the kind of fine arts nature comes into it like I want everything that I make to be of as high quality as some museum level vase that you might see but on a smaller scale that you're comfortable using every single day yeah yeah there's so many different questions in my mind and I'm we're going to come back to some of it but first and foremost for somebody who's just starting out who's seeing all of these people on Instagram and Etsy and stuff selling their wares And for me personally, I actually started selling my stuff simply because I didn't have the space to keep it. And I was Mm going to keep making. You're in New York. I'm in Chicago. Like, I don't have a basement to store boxes of things. And so that was the impetus for me, which is not nearly as good as the impetus for you. But something that you feel like, hey, here's some markers for people who are are just getting going, like some, some very clear markers rather than that feeling of being enough, but the skill set of saying, hey, when you're in this place, that's a viable place to start selling your work. Yeah, that is really hard to say because quality was and and still is super important to me. And so for me, there were some really basic markers that were important to be in place before I felt comfortable selling. Mm -hmm. So the first thing, like I said earlier, was really simple, just making good, consistent cylinders, which is a super back to basics thing. But there were times when I would go to the pottery studio and I would cut myself one pound balls of clay and I would just make cylinders for an hour or two hours and see how consistently I was able to do that. Love it. And that was something that an early pottery teacher taught me to do. There were other things like is this thick enough so that if it goes in the dishwasher, it's not going to break? My mom has a lot of stuff that has been tested in her kitchen in St. Louis, where I'm from. So those were some considerations. But then the other thing, too, that I think is really important is not rushing to sell, but selling once you feel like you have your own kind of style and also making sure that you're still having time to be curious. And for me, curiosity is what drove a lot of my early ceramic endeavors and just wanting to learn as much as possible about the medium and about different techniques and about different clays and different glaze combinations and things like that. And I think if if you rush to sell too soon, it's almost missing the point. And so I think maintaining that sense of curiosity and really making sure you're following that curiosity and having that be the driving force as opposed to immediately trying to sell your work as soon as possible is really important. Yeah, that is a a firsthand experience. I think that's absolutely true. I fell into that and then found myself like purposely backstepping and saying, hold on a second. I've given myself another job, basically. All I'm Mm -hmm. doing now is coming into the studio and producing what somebody else has already seen me do because they offered to buy more of them from me. Right. And and what got me started in ceramics away from photography was that desire to get back to making for the sake of making and being off a computer screen and just getting into the mess of it rather than just needing to needing something to come off the wheel that I needed to keep. And totally being able to just throw a bunch of stuff that you cut in half and going, oh, okay, I'm doing this same mistake over and over again. Did you ever time yourself with those cylinders? Was it a matter also of like speed for viability? Totally. I would would do one pound balls of clay and then I would give myself, I think I would give myself like two or three minutes. I took an intensive workshop where we started out with say five minutes and then we cut down to three minutes and then we cut down to one minute and we didn't keep anything during this workshop. And then the last round was blindfolded. And so those, when I was doing the cylinder drills, they were timed and it was like, okay, I've got one hour. I got five balls of clay. What can I get done during this time? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That challenge was set to me. My partner's actually a professional ceramicist far more than I would ever consider myself. And so during COVID and, and distance and all this kind of stuff, I would take videos and he's like, okay, yeah, that's fine, but you're not doing it in two minutes yet. So keep going. <laughs> right. It's interesting because the same person, his name was David, uh, was another teacher that I had. And mm-hmm. he he's a professional ceramicist and owns his own you know pottery studio and everything now. But he would always teach us things like omit needless movements, be yeah. more efficient 
think about how you're using your body weight, make the wheel work for you rather than you trying to impose yourself upon the wheel. And those are the things where, sure, you can make a cup and you can make a cup and you can sell a cup, but are you thinking about your posture? Are you thinking about your back? Are you thinking about your wrists? Are you thinking about how you're pulling the clay? Do you need to adjust so that you're not tweaking something? Did you really need to do that fourth pull or could you get all the height that you need in three pulls? Mm-hmm. So things like that, those kinds of drills, I think, are part of the kind of professionalization, if you will, of moving from a hobbyist to a more advanced student. Yeah, because if you're starting to count your time as it to get into a little bit of the business side of it, if you're effectively trading time for money totally. at its most basic, right? And yep. so if it takes you 20 minutes to throw a mug, let alone put a handle on it, and then fire it and glaze it and fire it, you need to sell that mug for a hundred dollar mug. Exactly. Which there's people who might want a hundred dollar mug, but then we're talking about vases and not vases. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of the business side, I do want to come back to that iconic branding and marketing that you have, because I do think it's so, it's unique one in the representation, as you mentioned, and I want to dig into that, but also like just in that mark and having that identifiable logo and look that I think a lot of us have, we picked names that we could get in a domain and an Instagram handle, but maybe there's no other visual brand surrounding that experience. And I think that's something that for sure for me on this podcast, I want to give a lot of people that tactile business advice, because I think For so many of us artists, we get into it because we love what we make. We don't get into it because we're any good at business. Right. Yes. And if you're trying to make a living from the things you make, you've got to learn how to be good at business. Yeah. You have to learn how to be good at business. Exactly. So was that something It sounded to me when you were talking about just the very beginning of starting, you already had this through line and this eye and this looking forward ahead to hey, I need to have a visual brand. I need to have, was that something you were aware of from the get-go or how did that kind of come about? Yes and no. When I first started pottery, I was watching a thousand YouTube videos, staying up until two o'clock in the morning because I was just so in love with this new thing. And I found the videos to be mesmerizing. And there were a couple potters I found who had maker's marks that they would stamp into their pieces. And so I mentioned to my boyfriend at the time, who's now my fiance, that I wanted a stamp for my pottery. And so for my birthday that year, he designed a stamp for me. And so he just made up the design and it happened to be like my head, like a smiling version of me with like a head wrap. It was not the one I have now. It was an earlier version of that. So that was my like 1.0 stamp when I was just doing it for fun and didn't necessarily have the business in mind. When I was ready to launch the business though, I wanted to have strong branding, have a a solid through line in terms of the theme and things like that. And so I brought my existing stamp to a friend of mine who is a graphic designer. And he and I had a conversation about my goals and what I was interested in and what I hope to do with the business and those sorts of themes. And that's really where it started to concretize into representation is important. And I wanted to maintain the headscarf and like the fact that there's very clearly like an afro in in the logo and there's an element of playfulness and an element of usefulness and those sorts of things really solidified through those conversations and so what came out of that is my current logo which is professionalized upgraded smoothed out edges version of what I had as a hobbyist but now this is something that I can carry through with my work as a business as a graphic designer, what I find to be so strong about it is like you have that clear representation. It speaks very clearly, but at the same time, it looks really great in a tiny circle on Instagram stories. Yeah, And that means you also can easily make it into whatever version of a, I mean, finding something that you can stamp into Mm -hmm. clay Mm -hmm. that resonates, it stamps into clay really clearly. It works on Instagram stories and you are speaking into your values of who you are and what this business is about is like the trifecta of branding. Yeah. And that was something that was super important because the original purpose of this was to be a a stamp on clay. And in the birthday gift version of this, it was, it was detailed and it was only used for me to stamp cups and stuff that I was making for us at home. Mm -hmm. But one of the key qualifiers of a successful logo for me with this redesign was again, that it needed to be 
it needed to be able to be sized down to a quarter inch or however big that is to work as both the stamp and as the logo for the business. I'm really fortunate to have very creative and resourceful people in my life. And this was an outcome of, of those partnerships. I think any, at least my experience with entrepreneurship the last 10 years, it takes a village. Oh, like, for sure. It, yes. It's, and that's, as we talked before we hit record on this, on this episode is that that's the only way I got my photography business off the ground. And when I was looking into ceramics, it was like, wait, where's the village? Like, where mm -hmm. is, where's the support network? Where do people find out information about how the heck do you, how do you heck that do you take this from side hustle to full time? Mm -hmm. If that's what you want to do. If right. Speaking of that, what is your dream and kind of the balance that you're finding in life between the work that you're doing with the nonprofit and Camille at the Wheel? Like, what's that balance like? What's a, you know, kind of average day, average, average week for you, real life? If I'm speaking perfectly honest, I don't think I've found that balance yet. So for the past three months, we're in November now. So since I got back to New York, I was stranded during COVID away from home, which is a very long story. So by the time I actually made it back to New York in July, my balance looked like working all week, driving out to Long Island on the weekends to do pottery because I was able to set up a temporary studio in my grandparents' uh, basement, doing as much pottery as I could on Saturday and Sunday, and then just going back and forth for a really long time. And then eventually yeah. amassing enough stuff to where I put it all in the car, drove it very carefully across mm -hmm. three highways to get to Manhattan to where the kiln was located. Oh, and then to put all my greenware in this kiln and then driving back to Queens and then driving into the city to glaze stuff and then driving home and then working and then going into the city on the evenings and then also going to the city on the weekends and then also going back to Long Island to throw more stuff. So it was the hustle. It like, I do not wish to glorify the hustle. The hustle sucked and it was extremely draining. It was not great for my physical well-being. It was what I needed to do at the time because that was the situation I found myself in and a lot of things were up in the air for me at that time. It has since stabilized. I have been able to find studio space that's closer to home and consolidate my operations. So I will let you know in maybe a month or two <laughs> what balance looks once I feel like I have achieved it. But of late, things have been very imbalanced as a result of just needing to figure out how to get stuff done, get these orders out of the door. People, there was a rush of orders for me over the summer, and I wanted to fulfill those as quickly as I could, but while still maintaining a, a good quality product. And so catching up on those was really important to me and showing to my customers that, hey, like I'm doing everything that I can to get these to you. This takes time, but I promise it's going to be worth the wait. And I have been really fortunate to have super patient and supportive people who have been following me and who have purchased my work. And so doing what I can to meet those demands has been really important. And once that kind of flood is over, I will hopefully be able to get back to a bit more of a balanced place and doing less kind of back and forth running and ripping. But it's been a really busy few months for me. And I appreciate that candidness because I think that's just the, there's so much verbiage out there on the internet around balance. And I haven't, I'm 10 years deep, I still haven't found it. And actually, I probably just keep adding things. <laughs> I had a coach once tell me that, that ba effectively balance was a myth because if you think of it like a teeter-totter, balance is where you're nowhere, you're hovering. And so you're not that the goal shouldn't ever be balanced because to him that was like, if you're, if back when we used to fly, <laughs> if you're flying from point A to point B, balance is, the, is when you're 3,000 feet in the air and you're just hovering as opposed to just being firmly where you are when you're there and right. being all in that moment frankly, what makes it worth like that? I feel that grind. And I firmly believe the hustle, like all the hustle to you make it hustle. Like, no, that all needs to die mm -hmm. a strong death. But at the same time, we put ourselves in these positions for some reason. There's something I'm assuming right now that there's something that kind of drove you to trying to figure out doing both of these things, having the full-time job, trying to do the ceramics, driving. The hustle is even worse when you're dealing with Queens and New York and Long Island traffic. That's right. like a whole nother, that's a whole nother level yeah. of hustle. 
Yeah. So for me, what happened for me over the summer, I have always had a really strong base of supporters local uh, mm-hmm. to me. Before COVID, I participated in a lot of local markets. Not a lot, actually. I participated in a small number of local markets, but they generated a lot of business in a really wonderful community of artists, not just ceramicists, but all sorts of artists um, mm-hmm. here in Queens. And of course, the pandemic prevented us from being able to have these markets. But in June of this year, after George Floyd was killed, there was a wave of support for Black businesses of all types. And mine was one of them. And so I found myself, I was checking my phone, and I all of a sudden had just thousands of notifications and traffic to my website had just exploded. Um, Like it's a miracle that the site didn't crash. And so that kind of generated a ton of sales for me that I frankly was not expecting and wasn't really prepared for. And so part of what, and also I wasn't near a wheel at the time because I was stranded away from New York. So it was, I was in a situation where I had all these orders and I was very clear on my site. I can't make anything right now. My community studio is closed. I'm also not close to a wheel, but as soon as I'm able to, I will let you know if you're cool with this. Great. And I promise you it's going to be worth your while when you've waited for it. And so a lot of my motivating factor was wanting to make good on the promise that I made, wanting to deliver. I take it very seriously that people are willing to pay for what I make. And times are hard. And the fact that with whatever spare money that people have that they want to you know, invest that in my business and, and, and contribute to Camille at the Wheel, I want to make sure that people feel like they've gotten what they've paid for. And so that's a big motivator is just delivering on those promises. I think also, if I'm being honest, there's a part of me that likes being busy. And Amen. COVID has forced us. I to- raise my hand for that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I have, COVID has forced us to slow down. We can't go as many places or do as many things. And so I have been really fortunate that I have access to pottery. A lot of people don't have access to do the things that they love doing right now because they can't. And so having this as an outlet has been tremendously calming and also motivating because I want to do it as much as possible because it's one thing that I can do to take my mind off of everything else that's going on in the world. So those are a few of the the motivating factors. But at my core, I am a doer. I love being on the go. I love having something to do. I love having a to-do list to check off. And I think part of that's just a personality thing. And it's maybe not great with ceramics because it's such a slow craft and so much of it is out of your control. But yeah. You're speaking my language in terms of this forcing us to sit down and slow down and think and then craving that speed of life. And somehow we're both also totally obsessed with this craft that makes us slow down. (laughs) Yeah, you can't. Anytime I try to rush something or take a shortcut, I always regret it. So in a really aggressive way, like it's it's, it's regret in the way that like something breaks in your hand. Yeah, yeah. Or you get something back and the glaze is just so ugly. And it's you could have prevented that if you had just taken an extra 20 minutes and done a better job. Um, Like you knew when you set that in the kiln, you knew there was a little voice in your head. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there is so much to unpack there. And I want to encourage our listeners to dig deep in education. I'm going to stay in my lane of what I know here, because I think there's so much that spurs in my mind with other conversations I've had with makers and artists and Black and Indigenous and people of color around this strange surge of business, which is which is wonderful and also complicated at the same time, that that's a massive subject to unpack that unfortunately I don't feel like we've carved enough time into, nor is it the lane that I should be in. So if there's any resources you suggest or the resources that I've been Um, and educators and far more knowledgeable people who have been doing the work for way longer, I will link in the show notes for our listeners, because I think that's a conversation I want to encourage, even if we don't have time to to dig into it today. Yeah, Um, for sure. For sure. Keeping it to the business conversation just for our little podcast here. 
has your business always been that pre-order model or it's a made to order people are ordering and then the making is beginning or how does that process work for you? Yeah, so that is absolutely not my model. That is a model that I adopted because of COVID and because of being in a position where I wasn't able, I didn't have any stock available to Mm -hmm. sell. And I was very fortunate in that this time last year, I was nearly sold out because the holiday rush had wiped out all of my stock from either my online shop or the markets that I participated in. And I was in the process of restocking when COVID hit at the beginning of 2020. And so I never actually got around to finishing the work that I had been working on, which would have then gone into my shop. So my normal model is that I make whatever I feel like making, and then I put that up for sale. Oftentimes, Mm -hmm. I will make a lot of something. There are certain motifs that always do well, like the the Hello Dottie cups and mugs and bowls. I love making those. It's one of my favorite things to make. And so I always make a, a decent amount of those to sell. But then I also make other things, planters, and just different things to use around the home. And so typically I'll make a group of things. And when I feel like I have a large enough collection of stuff, I'll put that up for sale on my site. Sometimes it's a big site drop. Other times I'll just put stuff up on a Tuesday if I've got it and it's ready to go. Mm-hmm. The made to order was really an adaptation that I did because of the circumstances that I was in this year. The only other time that I'll really do a made to order model is if I'm doing custom work, which I haven't taken on a ton of just due to a lack of capacity recently. Obviously, I realize the COVID experience is a stressor because it wasn't planned and you had that massive influx, but has there been any has it gotten any kind of thoughts firing as far as different models that work well for you or why one works well for you over the other? Yeah, it definitely has. The problem with made to order is that it puts a ton of pressure on everything to turn out exactly how you need it to, or you're going to come up short. And I was lucky in that most of the stuff I made turned out exactly how I needed to, but there were a few things that either got broken along the way or didn't quite turn out, Had am in a position where I need to remake those things. Mm-hmm. What I like about the made-to-order model is that if you, for me, what was really important is that I was making things that I enjoyed making. I didn't mm-hmm. want to put anything up that was particularly onerous. No tea kettles are going to be ever available <laughs> on a made-to-order basis. That's too much pressure. But things like cups and plates and planters, those things are are things I know I can make, things I know I can make pretty efficiently, and things that I can make consistently. So that was one one factor and something that I, I think something that makes the made-to-order model work for me. But the made-to-order model does not really allow for very much creativity outside of replicating work that you've already designed. And having the creativity is really important to prevent burnout. And so moving forward, my ideal scenario would be continuing to make a set of a kind of standard collection stuff that I always have in stock that I know I can make that I really love making and that sells well, while also carving out time for experimentation and new designs and things that really feed the creative spirit and the reason that I started doing pottery in the first place. And then the third bucket, I would say, would be things like retail or wholesale and figuring out a way to have a small enough collection of things, again, that I can make reliably and use as a mechanism for getting my work out into other places that gives me a broader reach than what I have just from Instagram or from my own direct-to-consumer site, CamilleAtTheWheel.com. So those are the three ways I'm thinking about it. Ideally, I could work in some custom work too, but but that is a whole different thing to carve out time for. So trying to figure out how to balance those different options. And one thing that just comes to mind for me in my own experience is as you start putting yourself into all of these different buckets, there's a tendency to see what other people are doing and going, oh my gosh, that's such a good idea. I have to, I have to do wholesale. Oh my gosh, that's mm-hmm. such a good idea. I should do direct to consumer when really if you picked one and went all in, until that, once that's kicking and fluid and you've got a system and okay, I've got a good grasp on this and then add the next thing, right? Because yes. then you've got the the bandwidth and the the mistake I've made a million times is I get, ooh, over here, shiny object. Yep. And it's like you're, instead of trying to push one rock up a hill when you're putting all your muscles behind it, you can get that to the summit. You've got like pebbles that just yeah. get 
poured down on you and you're trying to catch them all and you just, you don't even go up six inches. Exactly. Yeah. And really picking your focus and sticking to that is really important. And I have had a lot of requests for custom work lately. And I reached a point where I was just, I realized I needed to say no pretty much to everything in order to stay focused on the things I was already committed to. And also Mm -hmm. just so that I wouldn't go crazy with the pressure of having yet another thing. And it's exciting and wonderful. And it's so invigorating when people want your stuff. But I think finding the balance of what you're able to provide and what feels comfortable and what feels good and what's not going to drive you crazy at the end of the day so you can continue to live to work another day is really important. And that's certainly been a good lesson this year is not stretching myself too thinly, doing, staying really focused on what am I trying to get out of this and what's bringing me joy. I'm fortunate in that my primary source of income is not derived from this. And so I have a bit more freedom to figure out what works for me and experiment in a way that I wouldn't necessarily be able to if I was relying solely on this for all of my income. Hope streams, COVID's gone away, you can do whatever you want. Would the goal ever be full-time for ceramics or would you always want to keep this, for lack of a better word, balance, Mm -hmm. kind of using air quotes here on the other side of the mic, between the work that you're doing that does provide a certain level of stability and Camille at the wheel? Yeah, that is a question I've been asked a lot lately. And I am in a perhaps unusual position, which is that I actually love my full-time job, which is not something that a lot of people can say. And I feel very fortunate to be able to say that. And so I don't have any immediate plans to turn ceramics into my full-time job. I do, my goal when I started this business was at the very least to break even because mm-hmm. most businesses in their first couple of years, they don't net a profit. And I am happy to say that I did break even in my first year. And so I want to make a profit. And I have always had a goal of, my original goal was for the hobby to pay for itself. And with time and, and more professionalization, I have additional kind of financial goals for the business. But whether or not it will become my full source of income is definitely uh, a TBD thing. I think for me, it would probably reach a point of, almost like a a forced point of you got to make a decision here because you're not able to keep both going. I'm not at that point yet. I think I'm still experimenting with different business models and trying to see what feels the most comfortable for me, given my other circumstances. And I think what's so unique to your experience right now also is that you're still thinking of it as a business, right? You're not thinking of it as this hobby thing that I do. You're thinking of the numbers in terms of your cost of clay and the cost of the studio and the cost of firing and glazes and all of these things when it comes to pricing your work and your time into it, rather than for many people who do have that stability of a full-time job, It's just kind of like, well, I looked on Etsy and people were charging $20 for a mug. So I charge 15 because I don't think I'm as good as other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you bring up a good point because for me, it's going to go where your mind goes. And so Mm -hmm. if I'm thinking of it as a business, I'm going to treat it as a business. If I'm thinking of it as a hobby, I'm going to treat it as a hobby. And I am not the type of person who's able to do anything halfway. If I commit to something, I'm going full steam ahead and I want to do Anything I set my mind to, I want to do it excellently. And so thinking of this from a business standpoint is just part of who I am as a person and wanting whatever I'm doing, wanting it to have a strong stamp, like she is doing a good job of what she has set her mind to do. So I think keeping that kind of business mindset is important for me and motivating as well. I think it's also just really important to put a stake in the ground and call out in this conversation that it doesn't have to be the full-time thing. Like Mm -hmm. I think there's some pressure in the making world. At least this is what I felt when I, 10 years ago, when I started the photography business of like, somehow you weren't legit until you were full-time. Yeah. And and that's, that's bullshit. Yes, absolutely. Just call it like it is. Like that's, The point is you're intentionally choosing, like you have consciously made a decision and it's not just happening to you. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. It is very much a decision. And again, I don't say that lightly. I think it's a decision that I have because I have a lot of privilege 
I have privilege in a lot of other areas that allows this to be a decision that I can make. And so I don't want to lose sight of that. But yes, it is very much a decision. And for me, it's about going back to balance. Maybe that's not a real, that is an illusion. But I do think you can achieve balance and it doesn't mean that it's exactly a 50-50 split. It's really for me about making a choice about what I want and then being able to live out that choice. So if my choice is full-time, 40, 50 hours a week, and then pottery happens on the weekends or once once a week in the evenings, okay, if that's the choice that I'm making, then how do I make the most out of that choice? If I want pottery to take up a bigger chunk of time and that's the choice that I'm making, what else needs to shift in order to honor that choice? And so I think doing things intentionally is is really important and also protects you from feeling burnt out if you feel like you're just going all over the place, responding to the whims of whatever shiny new thing there might be, um, then you're not exercising intentionality and not making choices. And I think that can detract from your enjoyment and from your success as well. I think also having the information to make those intentional choices, right? Like the fact that you're looking at it as a business. So you're looking at the numbers and you're talking about the website not crashing and understanding the health of the website and the business to where if there were to come a time where you decided to adjust that balance between pottery more than just on the weekends at night, what you would actually need to do that, what that Mm -hmm. actually looks like rather than just, okay, I'm going to stash away a a squirrel fund of savings account and then I'm going to quit my job. And yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. And there's, there's also other considerations with balancing full-time work. And again, I'm really fortunate with the situation that I'm in, but I have been able to be intentional even about how I'm planning my time off and my vacation days knowing, okay, if I need to take X amount of days and devote this to the business, what do I need to do to make sure that other things in my life are arranged such that I can make that happen for myself? And the time thing is also such a key element, like your time is so valuable. And I think that is the one lesson that I've really had driven home for me this year with all the back and forth that I was doing over the past couple of months is that time is so important and making sure that you feel like you are Getting, your, getting what you deserve for the time that you're spending is mm. really critical and not undervaluing yourself and undervaluing your time. Yes. The next question I was thinking of is, what's one thing you wish that you would have known before that you know now? And I think you just answered that question. <laughs> yeah, I've always known that time is important. But the thing that really crystallized for me is it's really easy to look good on the internet and to post cool pictures and time-lapse videos and whatever, but the struggle is so incredibly real. And the anxiety of trying to fulfill X amount of orders, making sure you have all your ducks in a row, there's all these tiny things you have to do. I had a breakdown over figuring out how to set up a printer so that I could print labels (laughs) to send out packages. (laughs) So, and I'm talking like a legitimate, like, curl in a ball, what am I doing? Why can't I figure this out breakdown? That stuff you don't know about, like when you're just at your wheel and it's all zen and it's super chill and you're listening to music and you're having a great time, but then you're defeated by a label printer. And so I think the biggest thing for me is learning how to use my time and kind of protect my energy and my peace so that I can keep doing this, so that I don't reach a point of just feeling so overwhelmed that I can't figure out a label printer, (laughs) you know? And I think figuring out what does it mean? What do I need to do for myself? How do I take care of myself so that I can continue to show up and do this thing that I love um, and continue to to make work for people? It's always the technology, isn't it? Like for me, it's, oh, the internet's not as fast as it's supposed to be. And I just can't bring myself to sit on hold with customer service for that Mm -hmm. long to deal with it because there isn't there is no IT department. If I sit on hold to fix the internet for three hours, that means- You're not taking photos. You're not editing. Yeah. The marketing's not getting done. I'm not throwing. I'm not editing. I'm not like petting my dog. Right. Yeah. You know, and there's all, I think um, so many little things about running a business that as a a one person shop or even a one person shop with help doesn't make it to the Instagram page. And- Mm -hmm being aware of those things, like making sure you're accounting for all of those things and your pricing is really important. Like you are spending time making labels, you are spending time 
packaging things, going to, you know, getting packing supplies or finding recycled packing supplies, whatever the case may be, all that stuff takes time. And so really understanding the best ways to maximize your time, um, I think are really important. And then figuring out, you know, the pricing accordingly. Um, And that's something I'm still trying to get a good grasp on. Oh, absolutely. Well, to use the segue of time, I want to be respectful of yours and everyone tuning in since I have always promised to keep these or I'm attempting to promise to keep these under an hour and we're coming up close to it. So to total 180 and wrap things up, is there anything that looking down the pipeline, coming to the future, knowing this will be live in this beautiful new year we call 2021? (laughs) Any big goals or any exciting projects that you want to share about or are top of mind? Um, big goals or projects. I do have a project that's launching in the spring, but I can't talk about it. So you might have to edit that nugget out. (laughs) Stay tuned. Um, what am I excited about? Um, I'm excited for the fresh start that comes with uh, a new year. I'm excited. I'm, I just got set up in a new studio and which is scary. I was at one place for the entirety of my pottery career and really loved my time there, but needed to move someplace closer to home. So I'm excited to experiment again. I, I'm coming up upon some free space where I can really just make things for fun. Um, my deadlines have been met. So I'm excited to experiment, play with new clay bodies, play with new glazes, um, and really just get back into making for the sake of curiosity um, what comes of that. Oh, that's wonderful. And I'm not going to edit it out because I think that that <laughs> just means that we're going to have to have Camille at the wheel round two. A follow-up, yeah. If I could chat another two hours, I think. There's so many other questions I was jotting down as you were talking that I didn't even touch upon. Um, but thank you so much for your time. And yeah, I'm going to hold you to follow-up episode when whenever the mystery is revealed. Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's, uh, it's. The exact timing is TBD. It'll be sometime in the spring. It is dependent upon COVID Oof. calming down. <laughs> so that's an unfortunate uh, dependency, but uh, I'm I'm super excited about it. So I hope to have some exciting stuff to report on uh, in a few months. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much. And we will uh, we'll chat again soon. Awesome. Thank you, Rebecca. And with that, it officially wraps our debut interview episode of the Maker's Playbook. Before I completely sign off, I do have two things to ask of you. First, please be sure to check out our show notes, not only to follow Camille over on Instagram at Camille at the wheel, but also to click through the links to the resources I mentioned about halfway through this episode that will shed light on the realities of equality or rather inequality, and systemic racism in the U.S. today. This is a huge topic that we didn't have the proper amount of time to discuss on this episode. Second, if you enjoyed this conversation, would you please take 30 seconds to give a star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening? If you could leave comments in your review, that would be extra helpful. And even better yet, actually, would you click the share button and forward our little podcast to another maker friend? I don't think I have to explain to other artists and makers just how important word of mouth is. And until next week, go get back to making your dreams a reality. Together, we've got this.